Angus Beef Bulletin Extra Audio, the cattleman's resource for relevant industry insight on the go. Brought to you straight from the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra, you now have the opportunity to stay up to date on the latest news and information related to cattle producers, whether you're in the field, on the go, or finally back at home. So let's dive in. Welcome to Angus Beef Bulletin Audio. I'm Lindsay McAnally, and today I'm excited to share some standout stories with you from the latest edition of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. Today's Angus Beef Bulletin Extra Audio is sponsored by Biozyme. Cattle producers face a lot of challenges out of their control. The environment, input costs, weather, fuel prices. But they can do more with less with the AOBiotics Amifirm found in Vitafirm a line of nutritional supplements for beef cattle that maximizes energy and forage utilization for successful production. Find profitability that pays with Vitafirm. To begin the episode, here is a story from the American Angus Association about their functional longevity EPD. Angus releases cow longevity prediction, now available in a research EPD format Functional Longevity evaluates how long Angus cows will stay in the herd and how many calves they will produce. By Sarah Coker, American Angus Association. The Functional Longevity Research Expected Progeny Difference was released by the American Angus Association October 25th. The trait's purpose is to help further characterize relevant maternal traits, which aim to increase the long-term success of breeders and profitability of cow-calf herds. The Angus Genetics Incorporated, otherwise known as AGI, research team, which conducts the breed's development of EPDs, leveraged the data set from Angus Herd Improvement Records inventory reporting as a base for FL. I want to applaud the membership because those data submissions on those traits that we needed have really ramped up, says Smitty Lamb, member of the American Angus Association Board of Directors and AGI board chairman. You've allowed us to provide this tool. At its most basic, functional longevity looks at how long a sire's daughters will stay in the herd and how many calves they will produce during their lifetime. The unit of the trade is number of calves produced by six years of age, with a numerically higher EPD meaning, on average, the sire's daughters are predicted to produce more calves by six years of age compared to a lower EPD. Kelly Ritalik Riley, president of AGI, says she and her team are eager to observe how well the FL Research EPD aligns with expectations. We know members have been out there breeding cattle for generation upon generation, so their feedback will be important to hear as we continue to make this tool the best it can be, she says. Brady Larson of Larson Angus Ranch, Sharon Springs, Kansas, says he's been looking forward to analyzing the initial research EPD results. He is enrolled in inventory reporting and has heard gained maternal plus recognition. For his efforts, he and others enrolled in inventory reporting have first access to the FL Research EPD being applied to their herds. We can learn from it and have better selection criteria in the future, he says. I'm glad that a lot of these maternal issues are getting looked at, and I'm more than happy to help turning in as much data as I can through maternal plus to help. A research EPD is a prelude to a production EPD. A research EPD does not get updated weekly, but can be updated periodically as more data flows into the database. Once more data are collected, 
the evaluation will become even more robust and the research EPD can be moved to production. Andre Garcia, a geneticist with AGI, says one difficulty with the FLEPD model was accommodating and using as much breeder-collected data as possible without sacrificing EPD accuracy. The low heritability of the trait also presents modeling challenges. Some people may ask, heritability is low, so what's the point? But there is a point, Garcia says. You're not going to make genetic progress as fast. However, as soon as you start, the more progress you can accumulate over time. He encourages producers who are participating. He encourages producers who aren't participating in inventory reporting already to submit their data. This helps ensure accurate EPDs across the board and contributes to the fine-tuning of FL in its initial research state and the production stage in the future. Garcia says genetic correlations between functional longevity and other traits are of interest and will be explored in the future research, especially as more and more data are collected. Larson admits it is a challenge to account for each animal and collect every recommended data point. Regardless, he will continue to submit data and utilize EPD tools as they are developed, because he says he wants to be a part of the solution for opportunities he sees. On the cow side of it, there's so much more that goes into it that means studied and applied, Larson says. I want to make the best cow that I can that will last a long time. As a research EPD, FL will not be incorporated into the maternal weaned calf value, or $M. Current research is ongoing to learn more about how the EPD could potentially play in $M when FL moves to a production stage in the future. The research report for the FL Research EPD is available on the Angus website. For more information, you can register to join an Angus University webinar to be broadcast on December 5th. A live question and answer session will follow a short presentation on the FL Research EPD. Next up, a business case for using EPDs. Producer Panel provides insight into how the industry can effectively put EPDs to use by Angie Denton, Kansas State University. Three influential producers from the United States and Canada presented a business case for using EPDs during the 2023 Beef Improvement Federation Annual Symposium. The panel discussion was part of the Advances in Producer Applications breakout session moderated by Dare Bullock of the University of Kentucky on July 4th. Panelists included Paul Bennett of Knollcrest Farm, Red House, Virginia, Sean McGrath of Round Rock Ranching in Vermilion, Alberta, Canada, and Donald Brown, R.A. Brown Ranch in Throckmorton, Texas. The panelists were charged with describing their philosophies on using expected progeny differences. Brown referenced genetic trends over time, pointing out, if we want to talk about the case for EPDs, we don't have to look any further than to look at genetic trends before and after EPDs. This shows, without a doubt, that EPDs work. Bennett discussed the collaborative relationship between breed associations and producers to generate high-quality selection tools. Genetic evaluations rely on clean, comprehensive data. As a seed stock producer, I am responsible for contributing the highest quality data so that the EPD that comes out is as good as possible, he said. All the panelists were clear that EPDs help them move the needle on genetic improvement, but they are ultimately risk management tools for commercial customers. There's a big difference between being a bull seller and a seed stock service provider, McGrath said. Bennett emphasized that seed stock producers must quantify the product we sell to our commercial customer. We need to know what our cattle can and can't do for our customers. 
Similarly, Brown said he wants as many tools or EPDs as he can have in his toolbox to make the optimal breeding decision to deliver that promise to his customers. While each panelist underlined the importance of needing a diverse set of tools in the form of EPDs, they also underscored the challenge for many customers in interpreting the full array of tools available now. Bennett commended breed associations for the job they've done in developing and optimizing selection indexes for commercial settings and simplifying data analysis. He said Nolcrest has altered how they deliver EPD information to their customers. We're careful in how we present data to our customers, he explained. Our catalogs have evolved over time, and we've worked to optimize the data we put in front of our customers to prevent information overload. McGrath also discussed the importance of seed stock providers communicating to their customers about which index best fits their business plan. The other central theme panelists conveyed was how EPD profiles are not one-size-fits-all. McGrath talked about his operation's unique breeding goals. I want to have a $1,000 gross margin per cow, eliminate cow herd depreciation, and to do so without interference, 10 minutes per year per cow, McGrath explained. He said his primary use of EPDs to match complementary genetics that can handle their unique and harsh production environment. McGrath emphasized that his ideal EPD profile may not be optimal for another ranch. He noted that knowing the needs of each business and which traits should be focused on are more important when discussing EPDs. Brown noted that today's cattle have big engines, sometimes bigger than our production environments can handle. This creates a case where we have to be conscientious of how we make cattle that match our production environment as well as our business plan. One question posed to the panel was regarding their thoughts on a needed EPD that has not yet been developed. Bennett mentioned a methane EPD, while McGrath expressed a need for a grazing functionality trait or index. Brown suggested an index or measure of an animal's ability to have a multi-breed index for lifetime sustained profitability. Brown offered a recipe for continued genetic progress, saying, Without EPDs, we're driving blind from a genetic perspective. Using EPDs doesn't mean we'll always make the right decisions. It just means we'll make the right ones more often than the wrong ones. For more information about this year's symposium and the Beef Improvement Federation, including additional presentations and award winners, please visit www.bifsymposium.com. Now we'll discuss winter cow syndrome. Who's vulnerable and how to remedy the situation when cows lose weight during winter? Winter cow syndrome is a term used to describe individual cows or groups of cows that experience a significant decline in body weight and condition during the winter, sometimes becoming extremely thin, even to the point of death. The cause is usually due to a combination of factors, including physical factors of the cow, feed quantity and characteristics, and the weather. Cows older than 10 years of age tend to be at a higher risk for winter cow syndrome, because some cows in this age group will have broken mouths or no teeth. While these cows may be able to maintain body weight when grazing growing forage, they are at a risk of losing weight on dormant forage or hay. In addition, heifers that are still growing have a greater energy need than mature cows and are also at risk for winter cow syndrome. Cows with other disease problems such as pneumonia, liver disease, or severe parasiticism lice, or intestinal worms, are at increased risk of winter cow syndrome. Feet quality is an important factor contributing to winter cow syndrome. 
Many extremely thin cows have a rumen full of poorly digestible forage. Mature dormant forage or hay harvested when the plant was mature tends to have a high lignin content, low protein, and low available calories. Because high lignin and low protein forages have a very slow passage rate through the digestive tract, cows eating these type of forages are able to consume only about one half to two thirds the number of pounds of forage per day compared to cows eating higher quality forage. This combination of low intake and low available energy per pound of feed can easily result in cows losing weight very rapidly, even when eating all they can consume. In addition, mature forages are often borderline to deficient in phosphorus, occasionally deficient in calcium, and are also low in vitamin A. Calcium content of many types of grass decreases somewhat as forage matures and becomes dormant, but usually maintains levels that support dietary needs throughout the year. However, by midwinter, phosphorus levels in forage can decrease greatly, particularly in some types of forage. The content of both calcium and phosphorus in forage is not the only important variable. Intake also plays a critical role. When forage is dormant or of poor quality and intake is decreased, phosphorus and calcium intake can drop below minimum levels even when cows are grazing what appears to be adequate forage according to laboratory analysis. Vitamin A is the vitamin most likely to be deficient in cattle diets, and although carotene, which is converted to vitamin A, is plentiful in green-growing forage, large losses take place in the curing and storage of roughages. Particularly hay cut in the seed stage and exposed to rain or to extended periods of sunshine prior to baling has lost most of the carotene content. While it is true that while grazing green forages, cattle can store vitamin A in the liver for two to four months, cows consuming dormant forage or poor quality hay for several months can deplete those reserves. Cows are able to withstand cold winter temperatures as long as they have a dry winter hair coat and adequate body fat. Cows in adequate body condition with a dry hair coat will start to require additional energy to maintain their body temperature when the wind chill drops below freezing until the cows adapt to the lower temperature. In general, about 1% more energy per one degree below freezing. For example, if the wind chill averages 20 degrees for several days, cows with a dry winter hair coat will require 12% more energy than cows exposed to temperatures above freezing. The greatest weather stress occurs if hair becomes wet or mud caked, in which case the critical temperature rises to about 59 degrees and cows require 1-2% to more energy for each degree of wind chill below 59 degrees. In this situation, an average wind chill of 20 degrees results in cows needing about 40-80% to more energy just to maintain their current body weight. When intake cannot meet this requirement, body fat will be mobilized to supply the deficient energy. Prolonged periods of exposure to low wind chill temperatures, especially if the hair coat is not dry, coupled with poor quality forage when intake physically cannot be increased, results in rapid weight loss. If cows are thin to start with, the combination of poor quality forage and low environmental temperatures will lead to extremely thin cows that may be low in phosphorus and vitamin A and potentially other nutrients. And these cows are often unable to rise. The likelihood that a downer cow due to winter cow syndrome can return to health and productivity is low to very low, depending on the severity of the weight loss, the current level of environmental stress, and the availability of high-quality forages and supplements. The best strategy to prevent winter cow syndrome is twofold. First, 
Malatham recorded body condition scores on the cows in the fall. Cull any gummer and broken mouth cows and separate thin cows to feed them so that they gain weight and are in adequate condition by the start of colder weather. Second, have a good forage management and winter supplementation plan that results in cows that maintain adequate body condition throughout the year. On native range, dormant winter forage will likely need protein supplementation to ensure adequate intake and digestibility of mature plants. In addition, energy may need to be supplemented during periods of cold stress. The amount and type of winter supplementation of hay can depend on the quality of the hay being fed. Cows consuming high-quality hay may require no additional supplementation. However, if the hay has adequate protein, an emphasis on energy supplementation may be required during periods of environmental stress. If low-protein hay is being fed, protein may need to be supplemented as well. For herds that calve starting in late winter or early spring, late winter coincides with the last 50 days of gestation and the early post-calving period. Cows in late gestation require about 1.8 pounds of protein per day and about 11.3 megacalories of energy if they're not cold-stressed. Once cows start lactating, their protein and energy requirement increases dramatically. Early lactation cows will require about 2.5 pounds of protein per day, and about 16.4 megacalories of energy. Cows can be supplemented with a variety of feed, with the best feed for a particular situation dependent on cost, availability, and ease of handling. Good quality grass or legume hay, byproduct feeds such as wheat mids, corn gluten feed, distiller's grains or soy hulls, commodities such as corn or whole soybeans, and commercial cubes or tubs are all potential winter supplements. Regardless of the source, the total diet of forage and supplement should supply adequate energy, protein, salt, phosphorus, and calcium. In addition to a good forage management and supplementation plan, it is wise to have a contingency plan for thin cows as well as for extreme weather events. If you identify some cows that have lost body condition during the winter, they should be separated from the herd and fed a higher energy diet. In addition, extra feed should be available for periods of extended cold temperatures to avoid excessive weight loss. As an editor's note, this article was provided by the Kansas State University Beef Cattle Institute. And finally, a trend in break-even prices for cattle finishing. Break-even prices on fed cattle are expected to be high in 2024. By Michael Langmeyer, Purdue University. Fed cattle prices increased from an average of 161 per hundredweight in the first quarter of 2023 to 180 per hundredweight in the third quarter, or 12%. Moreover, feeding cost of gain has declined from its peak earlier this year. These two phenomena represent the good news. Now for the not-so-good news. Feeder steer prices have increased substantially from their levels earlier this year. Obviously, net returns to cattle finishing depend on fed cattle prices, feeder cattle prices, and feeding cost of gain. An earlier article examined trends in feeding cost of gain. This article will focus on recent trends in feeder prices and break-even prices and will provide projections for the next few months. Break-even prices are sensitive to changes in feeding cost of gain, feeder prices, and interest rates. Monthly issues of the Focus on Feedlots newsletter were used to obtain information on feeding cost of gain. Historical and projected feeder prices were obtained from the Livestock Marketing Information Center website. Interest rates were obtained 
from the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Though you can't see it, if you visit the ABB Extra online, figure one illustrates break-even prices from January 2013 to September 2023, as well as projections for 2024. In this section, we'll focus on historical break-even prices. In the next section, we'll discuss our projections. As evident from figure one, break-even prices have been increasing rapidly since the fourth quarter of 2022. After averaging approximately $155 per hundredweight in the fourth quarter of 2022, break-even prices averaged approximately $168.40 per hundredweight in the first quarter of 2023 and $167.40 per hundredweight in the second quarter. Average break-even price for the third quarter of this year was approximately $174.20 per hundredweight. Though not a focus of this article, net return can be determined using the difference between fed cattle price and break-even price in figure one. Since April of this year, fed cattle price has been higher than the break-even price, with the widest gap, or the largest net returns, occurring in June and July. Whether this relationship between fed cattle price and break-even price continues will be discussed below. Break-even prices are expected to average approximately $186 per hundredweight in the fourth quarter of 2023, with the highest break-even price, $196 per hundredweight, occurring in December. What about the gap between fed cattle and break-even prices? The gap is projected to be positive in October and November, and then become negative as we move into December. However, given the relatively tight beef supply, the potential monthly gaps between fed cattle and break-even prices or net returns are very difficult to project. For the first half of 2024, break-even prices are expected to range from $193 to $197 per hundredweight. Will these break-even prices lead to finishing losses? They very well could. However, given the relatively tight beef supplies, the potential monthly gaps between fed cattle and break-even prices are very difficult to project. Fed cattle prices have strengthened the last few months. At the same time, due to lower corn prices, feeding cost of gain has also declined. Partially in response to these two phenomena, feeder prices and break-even prices have increased substantially. Break-even prices for the fourth quarter of this year are expected to be $10 per hundredweight, higher than those for the third quarter. However, break-even prices in early 2024 are expected to be $10 per hundredweight higher than the projected break-even prices for the fourth quarter of this year. These large increases in break-even price increase the uncertainty related to net return prospects for the next few months. As an editor's note, Michael Langmeyer is an associate director for the Center for Commercial Agriculture and professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics at Purdue University. Thanks for joining us, and a big thank you to Biozyme for their support of this edition of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra audio. Listeners, as always, thanks for joining us for this edition of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra audio. To access the full slate of stories from our latest Angus Beef Bulletin Extra, or to sign up as a subscriber, please check out the link in our show notes. If you have any questions or comments, let us know at abbeditorial at angus.org. And we would appreciate it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with any other cattlemen on the go. Thanks for listening. This has been Angus Beef Bulletin Extra Audio.